There's something not only very humbling, but something also very precious about being there as they took their last breath. Hi, I'm Bobby. I was a longtime family caregiver. I'm now a certified caregiving consultant, a certified caregiving educator, and I've written two books for caregivers. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget my wine, Mike. Oh, no, (laughs) I won't forget your wine, speaking of medicine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, during the time that I was a caregiver for your father, um, a number of people on various social sites and and places that uh, we met with caregivers, they would say, I wish somebody would write a book that tells what it's really like. And I thought, well, since I've been a writer since I was eight years old and I'm home now, I'm going to do that. Uh, And that led me to writing Confessions of an Imperfect Caregiver about the seven years that we spent caring for your dad. And that brings us to today's guest. He's an author, speaker, and contributor now living in the Washington, D.C. area. He started his career in Los Angeles producing reality TV and eventually shifted gears to acting, performing on stage, television, and independent feature films. His writing and acting have been featured in the Los Los Angeles Times, The Guardian, Huffington Post, Publishers Weekly, Cinema Editor Magazine, and many others, as well as on off-Broadway stages across New York. As a young actor, he took a day job as a caregiver for Maria Altman, the Holocaust refugee, portrayed by Helen Mirren in the movie Woman in Gold. His first book, The Accidental Caregiver, chronicles his real-life experience caring for Ms. Altman during the last three years of her life. We are very pleased to welcome Gregor Collins. Hi, Gregor. Hi, how are you? I, I always, whenever I speak to you guys, I always feel much more at peace. So happy to be here. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's good. That's, well, that was a nice thing to say. <laughs> well, when it comes to the stories about caregiving, you certainly have a unique one. And I know that our listeners would love to hear about how you came to be a caregiver for Miss Altman. Uh, would you like to start our show by sharing that story? Yes, it, it was definitely an, an act, as probably most caregivers can say, it was an accidental thing, not something they planned. Um, I, out of college, I went to Los Angeles to um, work in reality TV. And so I went to LA, got into the reality TV world around the year 2000, which is when it was sort of booming. And then after four years, I decided to become an actor. And as an actor, I needed a day job. And so on Craigslist, uh, my friend, who's a fellow actor, went on Craigslist and he found this um, opportunity to be a caregiver for this you know, older lady uh, named Maria. Now, um, he would tell me about this. this la- he got the job, by the way. And so he moved into her house and started becoming her caregiver. And so he would kind of tell me over the weeks, like, hey, I'm taking care of this really amazing lady in Cheviot Hills, California. And um, I, she's great. And I would love you, you to meet her sometime. And so, you know, this kind of went on for a while. And then he comes back to me one time and he says, look, 
you know, we had another caregiver who just quit. And so it's just me at the house. Um, and I'm wondering if, you know, I know you're an actor and I know you're busy, but, but, uh, did you ever consider being a caregiver? And I said, I said no at first because it's like, look, I came to Hollywood to be an actor, not a caregiver. And I, I wasn't interested, but, but I felt, he said that I was the only one he trusted. So I, I felt really obligated to go. So out of, out of really mostly obligation, I went to meet her. And that's, that's when everything changed. Um, so that, that's when my life took a whole new direction. Caregiving has a tendency to do that, doesn't it? I know, you know, when I started uh, writing for publication, I thought I was going to write the great American novel, you know, and be on the bestseller list and, you know, doing TV interviews and all of that. Um, I never thought that I would write the books that I have because being a caregiver definitely changed the entire focus of what I wanted to write and what I wanted to do moving forward. And by the way, your yeah, your 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 book. Um, I loved it because it was it was a it was about caregiving, but it was also about a a, um, a fascinating character study of of Mike's father, Roger. And it was a brilliant guy who you know spoke multiple languages and and um, had degrees in math and literature. And but it 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 was a character study, and then also um, we really got an insight into you because you never pretended like you knew what you were doing. Right, and I didn't. <laughs> so through these confessionals, we really got to know you, and that's how I feel like, you know, I I never, you know, in a similar way, I never I never wanted to come across like I knew what I was doing, and so um, the book I eventually wrote was was kind of in the same spirit as you, like you know, I I'm trying to figure it out, and I don't know what I'm doing. And I think that's what's so valuable to to other people who think that there's a way to do this, and there's not. <laughs> No, because it changes not only day by day, but hour by hour, yeah. every 10 minutes. Yeah. Interesting, you, you called your first book um, The Accidental Caregiver. And you, you went into this kind of more as a companion than a caregiver. Is that correct? Right. Well, in many ways, it was as a caregiver, but in many ways, I feel like we ended up being hired conversationalists. You yeah. know? And, and so it, it was... I was, I became, it became clear. So that my friend Tom, who was the one who got the job first, um, he, um, he sort of was the house doctor and he was, had a very medical mind. And so he was more of a true caregiver. And it, it became clear that I was going to be more of her companion because Maria and I had a really playful um, vibe together. And, and, and it's as if we were both in our twenties uh, joking around all day. And so her, and even her family was like, Gregor, you know, my mom, like loves you and, and she kind of react, she has a different relationship with you. And so it's very special. Um, so I, 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 it became, Maria became my, my love. I, I dropped, you know, I, nothing was important to me after I met Maria acting, anything. I just wanted to be at Maria's house and I wanted to um, experience the sense of home I was experiencing when I was there with her. Now you said you, interacted like a couple of 20 year olds. Um, but there was a significant age difference, right? But you brought that side of her out. Yep. Um, she was 92 and I was 32. Um, I said she was, I was an old soul and she was a young soul and we just kind of met in the middle. Um, <laughs> uh -huh. And so, you know, we, we would share in, in the first meeting with her. And this is the time again, where I was, didn't want to be there. And I'm an actor, I'm not a caregiver. And, and I'm, 
I don't really know how what I'm doing around quote unquote old ladies. I, I didn't really have a relationship with my grandparents. And immediately we would just start going back and forth and joking around. And she had all these amazing jokes, you know, just old school jokes that have stood the test of time. And, you know, I, I, I've traveled around the world talking about her and, and one of the jokes she told me, she, um, um, it was, uh, and I tell audiences this, um, I, so there's this guy in a, in a rush driving through a parking garage searching for a parking spot and he can't find a spot. I mean, every spot is totally full, level after level. And so he gets so desperate at one point that he throws the car into park and he looks up and he says, Lord, I know I haven't been your most faithful servant over the years, uh, but look, I need a parking spot. I'm clearly in a rush. So if, if you just open one parking spot up for me, I promise I will love you and I will honor you for the rest of my life. I promise. And lo and behold, suddenly a spot opens up right in front of him. I mean, he can't believe it right in front of him. And he looks up and he says, forget it. I found one. <laughs> so she used to have all these kinds of long drawn out jokes and it's just like they're just gold you know and so we we and, and she always wanted to hear about my life as an actor and how I would you know she always she had a kind of a puckish wit so she always wanted to know when I was being naughty and she on Monday she would always say have you been naughty over the weekend and you know she always she had such a um she was such an she was the most elegant lady I'd ever met but she had this irreverent um, side of her humor that was so unique for someone in their in their 90s to have. Um, I think what you're describing is how important it is to have a relationship with the person and not be there for the disease or the disability. And um, it was it was a real grace and a real gift to, to both of you that that's the way you saw her and that's why she became so important to you and was was able to be herself every every moment she was with you and that you were important to her yeah um i you know she was as i look back on it because i just wrote the the second installment of the series with the looking back i just realized that you know she she i it was like, I, I, at that time, I was so in love with Maria. And I was like, I'm in love with this woman. And I just want to tell everybody about her. But really, it was, it was more looking back. It was like, I was really just learning how to love in general. And it was like, I was, you know, my love for her was really just um, my love for myself trying to come out and trying to find my true self and who I really was as a person. And I feel like those... Um, those three years, I, I was the most my true self I've ever been in my life with her because I was able to share my love so vulnerably that I hadn't really shared with anybody else. So that definitely helped. And I think, on, to your point, I think youth, I think, um, you know, elders, they really need that youthful, the youthful vibe around them. And, and they, it's so important. And, and what's so sad is that, you know, it's hard, it's, you know, especially in this country, elders are, are sort of tossed aside and, and, and the youth don't really um, see the value of elders and, 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 and it's harder and harder for elders to, to be, have their, you know, these youthful people around them. And so um, I just think that that's, so I was able to give her that, that, um, that youth. And, and um, I think that also speaking of like dementia and Alzheimer's, I think, you know, because there's no quote unquote 
cure. It's like the, the stimulation of the mind is, is really one of the best ways to um, combat it. And I felt like every time I was with her, her we were stimulating each other's minds and making each other younger and, and better. You know, it's interesting what you said about, about the youth. The youth that do take that step forward and do go and interact with elderly um, in nursing homes or assisted living, they come away feeling so rewarded once they do take that step. And, you know, we've experienced it with our caregiving. You've experienced it. And there's many, many others that have experienced that sense of reward and that, that feeling of, I did something that was really, really important. And I'm so glad I did. It was hard, but I'm so glad I did it. And feeling like you're in those moments when, when you make those uh, realizations, you're, you're really being your true self who you were meant to be. And that feels good when you, when you see the effect you're having on somebody and know that this is me, this is who I really am. You know, that that's really important. And that's why I think like a solution to this is, you know, we should keep trying to find cures, but also at the same time, we should like, in other words, get like a bunch of YouTube celebrities who have all these kids watching them around the world, millions, hundreds of millions of kids make videos about elderly people, make videos about their grandparents, you know, get, get young people to, to know that it's totally awesome and cool to, to uh, uh, be around elders and, and how, how important it is for your own growth, you know? And so we have to reach these young kids in, in some way. And I feel like that's, that's like the only way because kids are so obsessed with their, their YouTube celebrities. That's, that's a wonderful idea. And I think one of the, reasons that the perception of old people are that they're boring and they don't do it do much of anything is that we don't have you know multiple generations living together anymore and kids don't get to see that the relationship with an older person can be fun and it can be interesting and the older people um, wake up and come alive and you know share the stories from their youth and it, it just it just benefits everybody. Uh, one of my favorite memories with my granddaughters, and I hope it's one of theirs too, is when I put on a tutu and I am dancing in the kitchen with them. <laughs> Balance dancing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what our granddaughter called it. <laughs> um, but you see the elderly people absolutely light up, absolutely light up. And I had not even considered what you just suggested about, you know, all of these YouTube followers and interviewing and finding these interesting stories. I used to do um, a newspaper column for our, our local newspaper and it was called, What's Your Story? And I would go up to strangers and, and ask, because everybody has a story to tell and, and write an article about them. And there was a woman that, um, she ran an antique store and she was, she was quite elderly at that time and found out that she had been a hat model in New York in her youth. You know, these are the kind of stories that when you talk to people, um, you find out all the wonderful things, all the, the lives that they had. And your interaction with Maria was, I would describe it as a, Magical. As a wonderful, precious gift. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and of course, you, you know, you mentioned in the beginning with the movie with Helen Mirren, and she had this, obviously this fascinating side, but I did, when I met her, I didn't know really who she was and to what 
um, ex, you know, extent that she, um, you know, how rich her background was. And I just knew her as this 92 year old lady who, who, who I really connected with. And then only within the, the first two weeks, we would take walks around the, the block and, and she would tell me about her aunt Adele and, and her background. And, and so it just, I, I, I kind of fell for her before even knowing about any of this stuff. So for our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with Maria Altman, could you give a uh, brief bio or, or tell us a little bit about her? Yep. So Maria, um, we'll start with the present. So Maria's aunt, um, there's a, a painter named Gustav Klimt, and he was an Austrian um, expressionist uh, around the turn of the, the uh, 20th century. And so he... Um, painted a, a painting called The Gold Portrait. And that is at the Neue Gallery in New York right now. And it is of Maria's aunt, Adele. And her aunt, Adele Blockbauer, was one of the patron of, was a sort of a society woman of the day, a, a Jewish patron of the arts. And she would host salons. And in these salons, um, you know, all the artistic luminaries of the day would come and have tea with her. I mean, we're talking people like, um, you know, Klimt and Strauss and, and uh, Johannes Brahms and, and, and writers and any, anybody who is anybody in the artistic world would come and have tea with them. And so Maria grew up in this environment. And so her family, the Block Bowers, were one of the most influential families, sort of akin to the Rothschilds or the, or the Rockefellers. And so Maria grew up in this, this wealth and this, this opulence. And in 1938, when, when Hitler annexed Austria, um, they, they had to flee with the coats in their backs and everything was taken from them. And so there's, there's a very um, harrowing escape story, but she eventually made it. Her husband was in a concentration camp for a few weeks and he got out because she made a deal with the Nazis to turn his, her brother-in-law's sweater factory to, you know, turn it over to the Nazis. There's a lot of details in this story, but she eventually made it to California in 1942 with her husband. And then um, basically in 1998, she sued to get these Klimt paintings back that were owned by her uncle Ferdinand. And that's what the movie Woman in Gold is about, is about her, her fight, her attempt to get these paintings back. Um, so it, it, it's there, there's so many details to her story that I that I sort of outline in the book and if you if you research Maria Altman but um, but this was yeah so so I learned so it was like I was talking to somebody you know talking to history and we would watch um, movies about that time and she would point to the screen and say oh I knew that person oh I know that. I, you know, my, my uncle knew him and we, we, we used to do, uh, you know, have tea over here and, and oh, I remember that building. And so she was truly a part of, part of history. You know, it's interesting. You should say that because, um, there is a, my, my dad was uh, an immigrant from Italy and he loved opera and I bought a DVD with Andrea Bocelli. And it shows him performing songs in all the different house uh, opera places in Tuscany. And between each song, it shows a landmark. And while we were watching it, my dad would start, oh, that's this landmark. And here's what we learned in school about this landmark. Mm -hmm. And I learned more about Italian history and going on yeah. those little field trips, if you will, with my dad 
Um, and, and you just made me think of that, that it would be like going on field trips with your own personal tour guide. Yeah. Um, it sounds fascinating and amazing. Yeah. To be hearing it from somebody who, who actually knows, you know, has a reference to it. And that's how I felt when I first met, I would, you know, Maria, Maria's husband was, you know, a true Holocaust survivor. He was in a camp and Maria, um, was never in a camp, but when, when I would meet, um, I would go to the museum of tolerance in Los Angeles and, and meet Holocaust survivors. And the first time you meet a Holocaust survivor, it's just, changes your whole perspective because you're speaking to somebody who was actually in, in a place where you, your mind told you that it was just not real because you had never actually spoken to someone who's there. You know? Right. Right. So, so when she shared her stories and, you know, asked you what you've been up to over the weekend, um, what kind of stories did you share with her? <laughs> <laughs> um, <Oops. laughs> well, I, I was always, I was always kind of honest because I knew that she would appreciate it. I like if, I don't know if I went out on a date or whatever, I, I would, you know, I, I, I would enjoy sharing those with her because I knew her face would lit up, light up and she would be in her bed and I would, I would come wake her up in the morning and sit on her bed. And those moments were just precious because I could just be myself and I knew she, she would appreciate um, it. And, um, yeah, so she, um, I have video of her too, because that was back when, do you remember the flip camera? Yeah. Did you ever get a flip? Yeah, 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 yeah. Those were so cool. And uh, they came out maybe, what, in the early 2000s or something. And um, so I would bring my flip cam with me and I would like some really funny or, or, or uh, odd moments or, 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 you know, she, whether she was sharing a, an interesting historical anecdote or I was talking about my naughty weekend. I would film us talking about it and it was really entertaining. And so I have a lot of that footage that I show people. Sometimes if they read the book, they're curious and I show them. <laughs> so I got to ask, did you ever make up or embellish any <laughs> of the stories just to get the reaction out of her? Well, no, I mean, I, I she, after all, <laughs> she was a, she was a late, a real lady. I mean, a, a, a truly, what I view as a, like a real lady, a really just this elegant woman who came from, you know, the, the, the cultural capital of the world, Vienna, Austria at that time. And so I, I wouldn't, I, I, I would be myself, but I, w I wouldn't go, I wouldn't get too specific because, uh, but even though she would have loved it, I mean, she was like a little kid when it came to somebody sharing a naughty story. She was like a little kid on the edge of her seat. It, it was so adorable. Now, how, how long were you her caregiver? Three years. Three years. That and felt where, like a lifetime. So during that time, did she, her did she fail? Were you with her at the end of life? So I was with her at the to the very last breaths, and um, she she um, the, the last few weeks were tough. Because she had she was sort of I guess you would describe as the middle stages of, of dementia, and so you know I I would leave the room for five minutes and come back, and she would think that I had. Um, just arrived mm -hmm. um, for the day. And so um, never would never forget any, any faces or anybody, but um, so it, it was, um, uh, you know, and she had actually fallen. I, I wasn't at the house, but she had someone left a, a comb on, on the floor of her bathroom and, and she tripped on it and, and fell, uh, you know, so, so that was, that sort of happened towards the end. But, but yeah, I was there from, 
uh, for exactly three years. And then I was at her bedside, Tom, me and her son were at her bedside as she took her final breaths. And that was, um, I mean, I say her death changed my life, but really her life changed. I mean, everything about her changed my life. It, it may be very difficult for somebody to understand who has not done it. And I was there with, with both my mother and, and with Mike's dad as they took their last breaths. But there's something ve- not only very humbling, but something also very precious about being there at that time. It's, it, it's something that I remember when it was getting close, I had asked Mike, do you want to be there? And initially he said, no, I don't think that I can. And I said, well, I will be there because I don't want him to be alone. And it was just the two of us. But when it came to it, he was there. And, and I think probably he's grateful that he, that he was there at that moment. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. And, and were you, uh, it, was he in his, were you at his bedside sort of, how were you, were you holding his hand or just watching? Or- I, was, I was sitting beside the bed holding his hand and she was actually in the bed with him for the, essentially cuddling him, if you will. Mm. Mm. Wow. And, uh, you know, I have shared this story on the show before and I'll, and I'll share it again here. But um, at one point he looked up into the corner and he said, oh, look, I see the mist. You go first. And wow. I took that to mean we had spent a lot of time together for a lot of years and he was going someplace he didn't, wasn't quite sure about. So he wanted me to check it out. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I looked at him and I said, well, you know, Dad, um, I think I'm going to stay here with Mike for a while and we'll take care of each other. But if it's time for you to go, it's okay. And to me, that's one of my precious memories. And um, mm. so absolutely. The, the, the trust. He wanted her to check it out. He trusted her. Wow. That's just, that's just beyond words. And I remember the last words that I shared with Maria, I was in her bed and she looked at me and she said, are you packed? And I said, am I packed? Um, you mean to go to Vienna? Of course I'm all packed. I, I, I have, you know, <laughs> really still gets me. And, uh, and she goes, good, you know, and then she was, it, sorry, it really made her comfortable to know that I was packed. Yeah. So, yeah, the, yeah. that was the last, that was our last conversation. So it was very, very precious. Well, at one point when it, he was, he was still in the hospital. It was just, as, just before we brought him home for the last time in, in, into home hospice. And um, he woke up and he, he said to me, um, I had a dream that God told me that my job is done. And Mike told me that when the time comes, he'll take me back to Pittsburgh to be next to my wife. And I was sharing this story with a friend of mine at one time, and he, he said, you realize, Bobby, that his job was you. And he had taught you what he needed to teach you, and it was okay for him to go. Mm. And I still credit him as the greatest teacher I've ever had. And I imagine you learned a lot from your relationship with Maria. 
I did. I, I, you know, I had, um, I, I, just again, looking back on it, you know, I, those three years were just in the moment. I just was like, I was having so much fun and everything. And, the, and then years later now I reflect on it and I, she just really taught me how to, how to be vulnerable and to love somebody. And I always, cause as an actor, I'd always only shared my vulnerabilities for, um, for this, for, for acting. And, you know, the, the real life is what scared me to be who I really was. And so with her, I felt like I was, I, I was who I was supposed to be. I'm mm -hmm. this caring, nurturing person, but we tell ourselves, you know, we doubt ourselves and we tell ourselves we're different things and, and we don't, you know, we have to reconnect with who we are. So I really felt like she taught me how to, you know, be who I am and just, um, you know, be that. If you had one piece of advice for somebody who's contemplating being a caregiver, what would you say? I, I would say it's, it's the fact that you're con they're contemplating it. I think that it's really calling their name. And I think it will, I, I've never talked to any caregiver whose life has not been changed by um, being a caregiver. And I think we're all caregivers um, at our hearts and, and at our deepest parts of ourselves. And so if, if there's any opportunity to be a caregiver, whether you think it's going to negatively affect your life or not, do it. Just, just, you know, because the moments you have in life where you can take care of somebody else are the ones that are going to change you forever. Absolutely. Gregor, as we wrap this up, um, your second book is coming out this summer. It's scheduled to come out this summer. Yes. In early July, it's going to be part two. Yeah. Okay. The accidental caregiver part two. And that's the <laughs> 10 years after I met Maria book and <laughs> all the things. And I turned the book into a play and I've been traveling around the world meeting Holocaust survivors. So it's like how she's still in my life even after her. Death. Well, I definitely look forward to it. Thank you. It's been so awesome having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a joy, and I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of uh, you being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can find out more information about Gregor and links for his book on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we're dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.